Okay, well, tonight we're going to conclude our study in, in the book of Obadiah. And as we finish now this study and this prophecy, let's briefly just review what, what we've learned so far. We've learned that the prophecy dealt with God's judgment on the nation of Edom for its sin, its sin of pride. Edom is the nation that descended from Esau, the brother of Jacob. The two brothers maintained great animosity toward one another for many years, and, and though they seemed to finally make peace, the two resulting nations continued with those attitudes of animosity. Now remember that Edom refused to allow Israel passage through their land when they were trying to reach the promised land under, under the leadership of Moses. So, you know, those are things that were contentious uh, for them. The Lord said in, in Malachi that he hated Esau. And we looked at that a couple of times this, in this study. That he hated Esau. And the reason that he, he hated Esau or Edom was because of their, their pride. They were, they were proud of their national defenses. They were proud, proud of their strong allies, their superior wisdom, or so they thought. And that pride was manifested in their treatment of their brother Israel when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar. When Babylon descended on Jerusalem, the Edomites, in effect, just stood by watching. They laughed and they mocked, even encouraged the enemy to destroy the city. When the battle was over, they went into the city themselves to steal and to loot anything left behind. And then in a final display of, of hatred, they rounded up all the refugees they encountered and handed them over to the Babylonians. So how did God respond to all of this? Well, that's what we're going to read now is the rest of this prophecy, beginning at verse 15, down through verse 21. It says, For the day the Lord is for the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. Now we come upon that term again that we've been looking at actually all the way back in our studies of uh, of Hosea and Joel and, and Joel and uh, or Joel and uh, and Amos. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, the goyim, the nations. <clears throat> As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually, yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them, and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. For the Lord hath spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau. And they of the plain the Philistines. And they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharda, or Sepharad, I should say, shall possess the cities of the south. And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Now, notice the first word in this section, beginning at verse 15. The first word is the word for. For the day of the Lord is near. 
In this case, that word for means because. You can go back to verse 12 for a moment just to recapture the, uh, the things that Esau had done, which the Lord actually is going to say seven times they shouldn't have done. It says, but thou shouldst not, or shouldst not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldst thou, or shouldst thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Thou shouldst not, neither shouldst not, or shouldst thou, and then neither shouldst thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. These are things they should not have done. Verse 13, thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. You should not have done any of those things. Obadiah told the Edomites quite plainly that they shouldn't have acted so violently toward their brother Israel. And why? Why should they not have done all they did? Here's the reason. Because the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. The day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. That's quite a statement. Listen, if you think for a moment that that God doesn't remember our behavior, we ought to think again. Our behavior from beginning to end. Our behavior from the time we have behavior to the time we don't have behavior any longer. From the time that we are born until the time we die. There'll be good behavior, there'll be bad behavior, but there's behavior that God will always remember. Why? Because he's God. (laughs) And we're not. And if we think that we can go through life under the radar, so to speak, (laughs) we're sadly mistaken. It doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't love us. He does. In fact, we should be thankful that he loves us. And still, he deals with us. But what about the nations that have turned their backs on God? And as we see today, turning their backs on God practically every day. The Edomites practiced this animosity toward their brothers for centuries. And while they, while they might have thought they were going to get away with it, God was keeping his record. Consider the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, times and his days be prolonged yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God which fear before him but it shall not be well with the wicked neither shall he prolong his days which are as a shadow because he feareth not before God and brings back to mind you know this little phrase the fear of the Lord that, that we need to kind of really do a, a monthly study of it as we're reading through the Proverbs. For in the Proverbs, we find that phrase a few times, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and instruction. This is an important thing for believers, the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Simply, it is reverencing God, 
It is respecting God. It is worshiping God. It is bowing down before him because of who he is. And I wonder where that fear of God went in the church. But when you think about these passages here, or these verses here in Ecclesiastes, for just a moment, when you think about them, I think, I think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. I think about what they did and what had happened to them in the church that brought fear upon the people to fear the Lord. Both in the very sense that the Lord is able to do these things and at the same time. You'll, you'll notice that not much of, of what hap happened to Ananias and Sapphira was re recorded after that for two reasons. The first reason is, of course, they were all in fear of doing whatever they did. The other be, would be that after time, it would seem, well, I kind of made a mistake, but nothing's happened, so maybe I'll be able to get by. But the word of God is, is, is pure. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So, yet, <laughs> think about the end results, what they're going to be. If God knows the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning, well, and then he has the books. We see the books mentioned, books at the end of the book of Revelation, the books that will be brought out at the great white throne judgment of God, where the nations will be judged, where the individuals who have rejected God will be judged. What will those books say? Now we might ask the question, why doesn't the Lord always execute judgment immediately then? Well, the scriptures say this. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Slow to anger. <clears throat> That's the way he was with Israel. Slow to anger, but plenteous in mercy. When they would turn back to him, he would receive them, he would bless them. He would forgive them. When they would offer with a pure heart the sacrifices uh, before him at the tabernacle or the temple, God saw, God heard, he listened, he gave mercy. So why doesn't the Lord execute judgment right away? Because he's long-suffering. And he gives us space to repent and turn toward him. Why didn't he just wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah when he first wanted to? Why didn't he just clean the city of Nineveh right, out, right off the face of the earth? We'll be coming to Nineveh pretty soon because the next book is Jonah. Why did he even bother sending Jonah? Because the Lord's desire is repentance and not judgment. The Lord's desire is always repentance and not judgment. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. Now, see, we could, we could have stopped at repentance with a period right there and say, okay, well, yeah, he's, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But it doesn't stop at that period there. But the day of the Lord will come. As a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So getting back to Edom, Edom would not repent. And because they would not repent, Obadiah told them that the day of the Lord was near upon all, all the heathen, all the goyim, all the nations. Now we consider this a split prophecy, if you will, one having an immediate or near fulfillment on, on the nation of Edom. But its ultimate fulfillment will take place when the Lord returns. When he comes to judge the nations. So Edom, which was once a very rich and prosperous nation, is now a barren land. Those of you that have been to Israel have seen 
how barren it is. Just looking over there across the area of the Dead Sea, down in the south uh, part of, of, the, of, of the land. I mean, it's barren. And that water is not very good either. Just because it, it looks like water doesn't mean it. It's got 30% salt content. It's, it's a wasteland. And its people are, for all intents and purposes, are gone. The people of Edom. Notice one of the laws of God that we don't pay much attention to nowadays. Let's go back to uh, Obadiah 1 verse 15. Obadiah 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. Notice this next phrase. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Now how often do we think about that? As thou hast done, it should be done unto thee. I think we think about it uh, in terms of what Jesus said in the golden rule. What, what people call the golden rule. It's not called that as far as scripture is concerned. But we try to remember the golden rule. Do unto others. And Jesus said, and just to make, to make the statement clear, in Matthew 7 verse 12, he said, Therefore all things... Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Whatever you want someone to do to you. Well, I don't want anybody to come and beat me up, slap me across the face, you know. I don't want, I don't want that because I, I don't want to do that either. So it's interesting how the Lord here in Matthew turns that, that, that thought around and said, whatever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them? Well, if I want them to bless me, I want to bless, then I can bless them. Then Jesus said, for this is the law and the prophets. That's establishing this as a principle. So now, when you hear the words of Jesus in Luke 6, 31, he, he said, and as you would that men should do to you, there's that thought, that thought again, and as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. So you're not going to do to them, but you don't want them to do to you. But we find here in Obadiah is, is distinct from that rule. And it needs to be remembered as well. Whatever we do to others will be brought back to us whether good or bad. Can we be certain that the Lord will hold us to that rule? Well, let's just for a moment consider the words of James in James chapter 2. For in James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What does James say about our actions toward others being returned upon our own heads? He said that if we are unmerciful to others, we can expect the same treatment from the Lord. Isn't it funny that we want God to punish others for their sinful acts, but when we sin against him, we cry out for mercy? Just think about that for a moment. <laughs> Isn't it funny that we hold on to anger and bitterness because of the sins of others against us, but then we sin against God and expect him to forgive us? Well, this doesn't just apply to Edom or even to us because Obadiah said that the day of the Lord was near upon all nations. If you'll look at verses 19 and 20, we're going to jump a little bit back and forth here, so, but we're going to cover all the verses. Look at verses 19 and 20 of Obadiah and you'll see a partial starting list of some of these nations. And something else that is very interesting. Let's, let's read it first. Verse 19. 
It says, and they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plains the Philistines. And they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. That would be the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of, the, of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. The land that is being pointed out is the land that is between, I'm sorry, the land that is being disputed over today between Israel and the Palestinians. Or more correctly, the Arabs. The area in the south where the Jews are, they of the south, will be possessed by them, which is the area of the Mount of Esau, the Edomites. This is today southern Jordan and parts of Saudi Arabia. The lowland where the Philistines lived is what is called today the Gaza Strip, along the Mediterranean Sea. The fields of Ephraim and Samaria is what today is called the West Bank. And Gilead is the area that is called today the Golan Heights. Zarephath is the area of the, uh, to the north, which is Tyre or Lebanon. And again, all over by the Mediterranean. So that, got, that just kind of gives us a little indication that all of these places that are mentioned here are there and are still being contested today. So it doesn't matter what the United Nations or anyone else says about this land. For in the kingdom age... The land will be given to the Jewish people by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then note one more thing in verse 21. And Savior shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the king or the kingdom shall be the Lord's. We know that when Christ shall come back to this earth with ten thousands of his saints, he will rule and reign and judge from the throne of David in Jerusalem. Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He, he's redeeming man back to God. But if he is rejected, he will come again as the Lion of the tribe of Judah to judge a Christ-rejecting world. One thing that we should always remember as believers in Jesus Christ is verse 31 of Hebrews chapter 10. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, understand, this is not like some, some uh, you know, vain kind of threat or, you know, trying to paint a picture to scare anybody. No, we shouldn't be scared. We should be fearful. Fearful of a God who is great as our God is, who is mighty as our God is, who holds our lives in the balance. We don't have to worry about that. Why? Because we belong to him. We have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He's saying he is Lord. He is Lord. He's risen from the dead. He's Lord. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. But we need to know the character of the God that created us. And understand that it is a fearful thing. If he is going to be the ultimate judge at the end of time, if he is going to be the ultimate judge that man will stand before, nations will stand before, then what are we going to do? What is man going to do? As believers in Jesus Christ, and, and we've made this distinction often because we need to know the distinction. Every believer in Jesus Christ will stand before Christ. We will also stand on a day of judgment, but our judgment is quite different. For he judges our works, whether they be good or bad. Whatever is bad is, is taken through the refiner's fire, burned up. Whatever lasts, gold, the silver, the, the precious jewels of our lives, that remains. And we will be in his presence forever. Yet we still need to fear him, don't we? In what way? The fear of the Lord. 
the beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of, 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 of wisdom and strength and understanding. It's a fearful thing, though, to fall into the hands of the living God. But the great thing is, in Christ, you will be carried in his everlasting arms. As believers in Jesus Christ, you will not be judged in the manner in which he judges the nation simply because you have made peace with God through Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven and paid in full. This is the reason why, you know, we're coming into this Christmas season. This is the reason why I encourage every year, I encourage people, listen, this is the best time for us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's, it, it's getting rarer and rarer to see things pertaining to Jesus when we look at Christmas, right? Both in the merchandising areas and, and, and uh, you know, just the... Uh, uh, internet and you know tvs and what you know commercials you don't you don't see anything much about jesus anymore it's just a holiday you know it's a winter holiday and you got the christmas trees and you got all kinds of other things and these become a distraction but as believers in jesus christ we know better we know this this time comes and goes it's the time to use it to tell people about jesus why this season is really important why it, is, why it is essential for us to be light in a time of darkness. And this is a time of darkness. Just remember the story itself of Jesus coming. It was a time of darkness. Read Isaiah chapter 9, just the first two verses themselves. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Well, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. We need to be that light in this, in this time and season. Because we have made peace with God. No matter what struggles or trials we go through in this time frame, this has been a rough year for, for us here in this church. It's been a rough year. We've, we've seen a lot of things happen. And in our city as well. It's been tough. But Jesus is still on the throne. And he's still worthy of our praise. And he's still worthy of our worship. And he's still worthy of us to bow before him and, and, and serve him and represent him. We can't stop representing him. Not until he comes. When he comes, we get to rest. Because they'll see him as he is. So, Let's remember now, this is an important thing, to know what judgment is going to be like because people are ignoring it. People are rejecting it. But people need to receive the love of Jesus Christ. We're the ones who share that light. We're the ones who show it. We're the ones who are to live it. So let's live it brightly. Let's remember these words of encouragement to us. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 through 11. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Whether, uh, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Edify, build up one another. Well, that's, that's an important thing. Sometimes we take that for granted, that we you know, build up one another. Don't build one another up. Encourage one another. We've got to get out of this mode of, you know, well, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I, I, some psychologist or some psycho or psychiatrist told me, you know, that you know, I just have this, this thing about people. But you know what? Give it to God. Give it to the Lord and be the, the light that you need to be. And encourage each other. We're called living stones in the scriptures. Living stones. Put together to build up the body of Christ. The church of, of Jesus Christ. 
great old British preacher one time said, listen, we're not lone bricks that are just out in the courtyard, just one brick here, one brick there. They're in the church courtyard, but they're not in the church. They come to church and then they go. Listen, folks, we have to be knit together. Read Ephesians. Read Ephesians every day for a month. That's your homework. Especially that part that says that we are to be in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace together. Chapter 4. We're to comfort one another. Look at verse 11. I didn't finish that. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also you do. Comfort yourselves together. Those are the same words that Paul used. Comfort one another with these words. What words? Jesus is coming to take his home, to take us home. Well, let's go on. That, that was a, a good big parenthesis here. But as for Edom and the heathen nations, look at, let's go back to verse 16 now. As for Edom and the heathen nations, notice what it says. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and they shall swallow down and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions and the house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken it. Strong, strong language. As we have already seen, when Jerusalem fell, the Edomites entered the city and began to rejoice, plundering the goods. In other words, they went into God's capital city and they just started a party. And they partied hardy. And they drank on God's holy mountain. And then we read, uh, we read something interesting here. That just as Edom went in and drank on God's holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually and they shall be as though... They had not been. What does that mean? Well, let's turn to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25. And let's look at verse 15. We'll start there. Jeremiah 25, 15 says, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me, Take the wine cup of this fury at my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send thee, to drink it. And they shall drink and be moved and be mad because of the sword that I will send among them. Then took I the cup at the Lord's hand and made all the nations to drink unto whom the Lord had sent me. Now jump down, this is a big, big passage here, but jump down to verse 27. Therefore thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink ye and be drunken, and spew, and fall, and rise no more, because of the sword which I will send among you. And it shall be, if they refuse to take the cup at thine hand to drink, then shalt thou say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ye shall certainly drink. Using what can only be labeled as poetic justice, Obadiah says that Edom, along with the other nations, will drink again. But this time, the cup will not hold wine. It will be the cup of the wrath of God. If we are to learn anything at all from this, it ought to be that Edom was, was not singled out for its enmity against God's people, Israel, which was really enmity against God himself. Whatever form wicked pride takes... Pride is an affront to God. And God will judge all who refuse to humble themselves. And that, I'm afraid, will even reach to our very own nation as well. Consider the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 2, verses 10 through 12. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear of the Lord. And for the glory of his majesty, the lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men, in other words, the arrogance of men, shall be bowed down, 
The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty, and upon every one that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. Consider what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel 2, 44 and 45, he said, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. Again, Daniel chapter 2 speaks of the uh, the large uh, stature that was, uh, that was made at, on Nebuchadnezzar's orders of those materials because of the dream. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great. God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. That, in a nutshell, is the day of the Lord. But what about Jerusalem? And what about God's people, Israel? Well, now we look at verses 17 and 18 of Obadiah. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. Look at the contrast now. Upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance. And there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. While Edom could only look forward to doom and destruction, verse 17 says that there's going to be deliverance on Mount Zion, which is the poetic name for Jerusalem. Sion. a name that at times is used for a a fortress or a citadel. But it is God's place. It is God's city. It is where God will dwell. And when will all of this take place? Well, in accord with the full understanding of what is called the day of the Lord, it will be the time of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the time that follows the day of the Lord, which we've oftentimes pointed out that the day of the Lord really is not just a single day, but it is a time period of seven years. Given to us in Daniel chapter 9, made clearer throughout the prophets as well as in the book of Revelation. The extent of the time and the time frame and the Time distinctions, three and a half years of this, three and a half years of that, equaling seven. So, it's called the day of the Lord. It'll be the time of the millennial reign of Christ after, following the day of the Lord, when our Messiah and Savior is going to put down all the heathen nations and exalt his own people and sit on his throne. It is a day that will be characterized by true holiness. For as we look around, there is no true holiness in our world today. We can write all the laws that we want and govern people with an iron fist, but sinful people will be sinful people, and no matter what we do, we won't change that. Even God's people in his churches struggle daily with real holiness. And I think that when we put our, 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 our attention on passages of Scripture that God actually opens up to reveal to us, for example, Isaiah chapter 6. 
Isaiah chapter 6 and the, and, and the, uh, the vision that, that Isaiah received of, of the throne room of God. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And then he saw the, the angels with the three sets of wings crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. A vision that, you know, we need, again, these are passages that we read because we feel that we're you know, under pressure to, you know, you got to read through the Bible at least once a year, you know, so we pass out Bible pathways so that you can kind of keep a daily run on, on things and actually have a nice devotional every day, you know, and then, you know, so we do that, but, but it's how we take it. And it's not just like, okay, well, I got to read this, I got to read this, okay, I read it. And if I were to test you right then and there, would you be able to tell me what you just read? Well, I read about a, about the Lord, of course. I read about the Lord and about bad people, and you know what He's going to do to them. You know, that's that's the book of Obadiah in a, in a, in a nutshell, right? Bad people live and eat them, or whatever, whatever, wherever that is. No, we can't we can't do that. We 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 need to realize the pictures that God has given us are real pictures. He's allowing us to look into the very place where God will sit. Granted, it's not a, you know, for us, it's not as, as, as clear a picture as it's going to be. None of us have seen heaven, but we all will say it's beautiful. It's like none of us have seen the, cro- the, the cross on Calvary. But we know what it was like to some extent. To some degree, we know what it was like. And what we know about that event where Jesus was nailed to a cross and the cross beam was lifted up onto a tree. Though we've not seen it, we know it, just, you know, what God has allowed us to see. We have to consider it 10, 20, 30, 50 times worse than what our minds can imagine. That's why we shouldn't imagine No due respect to John Lennon. No, we're we're not called to imagine. We're we're, we're given something as a picture to say, listen, this is important for you to see. Because when you do see it, it's going to be greater than than you could ever put together. Just know that. And true holiness will abound for a thousand years. True holiness on this earth will abound. There will be a true fear of the Lord. And there will be nations. Not all nations will be destroyed. There will be nations that will repent. There will be nations that will be called upon. They will come and they will worship the Lord in the temple in Jerusalem. And again, we, we put our finite minds into it. We say, well, I try to imagine that, you know, but how can that be, you know? You don't worry about how anything can be. God knows what he's going to do. He's already seen the end from the beginning. This is more an issue of faith than anything else. Trust what God has said and believe and do. Jesus in Matthew 24 said, verses 7 7 to 13, he said, for nation shall rise against nation. Is that not happening? Has it not been happening now for hundreds, if not thousands of years? But now we're at the boiling point. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Crazy stuff is happening in this earth. No matter how highly technological we become as, 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 uh, as human beings, we haven't solved problems. We haven't solved the problems of, 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 of famine and of hunger. We haven't solved the problems of pestilences. 
Because this is a fallen earth. It's a fallen world with fallen people. Earthquakes in diverse places. We think about the earthquakes and we think about natural disasters. Well, you know, quote-unquote natural, natural disasters. Volcanoes and all. I mean, things are happening all across the world. Can't stop these things. All these are just the beginning of sorrows, Jesus said. And then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my, for na, for my name's sake. Who is he speaking to? His disciples. Who at that moment are representing his people, Israel. Look at, look at, look at the anti-Semitism that just took place yesterday in New Jersey. Jersey City. Targeting a, a kosher a kosher restaurant, a kosher deli. Targeting in our own country here. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. And shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And that even today in the church of Jesus Christ. And sadly, there are those who say they represent Jesus, but they're not representing Jesus at all. Because they're not representing his word, because they don't believe his word. They don't trust his word. And I'll say that sorry, not sorry thing right now. Sorry, but I'm not sorry. I... Do not trust anything coming out of seminaries today. They are teaching them more doubt than they are teaching them faith. And what is a good what is a seminary for if that's what they're teaching? Well, we need to doubt this and we need to doubt that. We're not really sure that this is in this Bible and that Bible. And, and look at all the Bible translations. Can you imagine? You go back to all these modern translations and you tell me. You tell me right now if they agree with each other. You know what? If you do a good study of them, they don't. They'll agree on most things, but on crucial things, some things are taken out of modern translation. People have asked me, why do you read the King James? Because I trust it. And I read it by faith. And I trust everything that's in there. And I've studied it, by the way. I study the things here because I'm not going to stand here today before God and before you and teach you what is not in the scriptures. But I'm fed up to hear with all these people that say, well, we, we, we love Jesus and all that, but, but we, you know, we support all kinds of other things. You, know? you can't do it because these things, the, the word of God tells us it's an abomination. So I don't believe in Christian schizophrenia. I hope that didn't go over anybody's head. But that's what's happening. Folks, there's one Jesus, one Jesus who died on the cross for us. He is the one that we are to serve and we are to obey and his word to obey it. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. They should put that at the entrance to Washington, D.C. today. Because iniquity and lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. This whole thing that's going on in our country today, it's about hatred, folks. It is pure, simple hatred. And I'm not saying that from a political standpoint, I'm saying it from a spiritual standpoint. It is the enemy and all of his ugly tentacles. We'll talk about that on New Year's Eve, by the way, unless the Lord comes first. And I'm really wanting the Lord to come first. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. He that shall endure unto the end.
when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart. Words of the fourth stanza of the hymn, How Great Thou Art, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home. That's our hope. That is our hope. And so a Savior shall come upon Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The Lord shall come with ten thousands of his saints. He will come with a host of heaven. And in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye, everything will change. When Jesus places his feet on the Mount, on, 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 uh, the Mount of Olives, and he's going to enter into the city, things are going to change. I think it was... Uh, in our study of Revelation a couple of years ago, we were dealing with that issue about the time frame where, where things were going to change. Well, actually, it was in, in Ezekiel. It wasn't that long ago, about a year ago with, with Ezekiel. And we're talking about how, you know, the, the topography, the landscape, everything was going to be changed. Changed in a, in a, in a moment, in a, in a twinkling of an eye. And, and my, my suggestion at that time was to look at that and consider what Peter had written right after the passage we looked at in chapter 3 concerning, you know, the Lord uh, not wanting any should perish. Because he immediately talks about this destruction of the earth and heaven. And so, you know, the suggestion that I was making is not, not to say, well, this is, you know, because some people still debate this, but but it's just to think that at that moment when he steps up on the Mount of Olives, I mean, things are going to change drastically, considerably. But he that shall endure unto the end in this life shows the same shall be saved for the next. So we come now to the end of our study here in Obadiah and we'll pick up in the book of Jonah.